Good morning. All right. Hey, that was a great response here. We only get one chance with one service through the summer. So it is great to see you guys this morning. My name is Pastor Chad, if you guys don't know that. I mean, my name is Chad. I am one of the pastors here. First name is not Pastor. Just didn't want to confuse anyone in case you don't know who I am. But uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm teaching pastor. And I get the privilege and joy of starting our first message in a series on the book of Philippians. And so we're going to jump into the book of Philippians uh, today. So if you guys want to, you can open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, and I will do the same. And we will um, we'll go this morning through the first 18 verses. So I think, I wondered if Pastor Josh assigned me 18 verses so that I would preach really long so that when he comes back, it would seem like he's preaching really short. I don't know if that was the motivation or not, but as we'll see later, we don't need to judge the motivations as long as the gospel is preached. So, uh, but let's pray this morning, and then let's start digging into God's word. Father, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful for your word. And Lord, I just pray this morning that your spirit would work in a great way. And that your word would come forth and that we would be ready to hear it and be ready to change. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to read Philippians 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 18, and then we're going to make some, some observations as we start this, this book. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Praise God for the reading of his word this morning. 
So, as you can see, we have a lot to go through this morning. And so I won't cover everything as in-depth as I would love to. There is so much that we're going to go through, but I would love to walk through this text and see what God would have us to learn. And if you've seen in the graphic, our series is titled Real Joy. And we're going to be talking a lot about joy. And you've even heard that as I read through the first few verses of this book. You heard the word joy, you heard rejoice. And this is a theme throughout Philippians, that we can have real joy in Christ. And it is the theme of this book. And and we don't want to, as we think about joy, what joy is, we don't want to confuse it with what we often think about joy is just happiness. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. All right? Joy is a deep-seated confidence and joy and peace and contentment in Christ. It is a fruit from a relationship with Christ. Happiness is just good feelings that come with good circumstances or good people or good things like that. And happiness is not bad, but happiness and joy are not the same thing, if that makes sense. We're not the same thing. We can have joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. And Paul's going to show that, and it's... So interesting that he does that in the book of Philippians because of how the church at Philippi started. And just as we think about about joy, um, there is a a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. And some of you know who she is and have heard of her. And her, her her and her husband were missionaries down in South America. And her husband was martyred for preaching the gospel. Um, But... Let me see here. This is a problem when I try and look at my notes. I forget where things are. The quote is about joy. She said this. She said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. And too often when we are seeking joy, we are seeking better circumstances. We are seeking, you know, we want to be happy, to have joy. I want to be out of this situation. But that's not the key to joy. The key to joy is Christ in you, in your present circumstances. And so that's what we're going to see from Paul as we go through this. And I want you to see three things that God wants us to have joy in as we go through our Christian life. And the first thing we're going to see is that God wants us to have joy in participation. All right? And you see this word participation throughout the first section of verses. He says, in, uh, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so what does Paul mean when he says, I thank God for my very first remembrance of you? If you want, you can look back at Acts 16. Acts 16 is where the church in Philippi started. And it is interesting, if you have time later today and you want to, you can read through all of Acts 16. And it gives you context for why Paul is writing a lot of the things that he writes to the Philippian church. But the the interesting thing is you see Paul, he was on his second missionary journey. And he's going through, and he was not sure where to go, except for that God prevented him from going to Asia. And then he had a vision called the Macedonian vision for people calling out for help. And so it says, when Paul had seen this vision, 
he said, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so it's just even cool to see that. He got a little bit of information from God and he took the next right step. He didn't wait. He immediately went to Macedonia. And he, the next day they set sail and they came to Philippi. And this is where the church would be started. They came to Philippi and they went out to sit, and there was no synagogue there. So they went out by the river to find the place of prayer, which is where the women would meet because there weren't enough Jews to have a synagogue there. And when he was there, he found a woman named Lydia, who was very interesting, as you read through Acts 16, was listed as somebody who was a worshiper of God. She was a worshiper of God, yet not a follower of Christ. And those two things are possible. People to know who God is, to know about God, and even seek to worship that God without being a follower of Jesus Christ. And Lydia was a person like that until God opened her heart to understand the gospel. And when she understood the gospel, she was saved and she was baptized and her whole household came to believe in Christ. And she was the first convert of Paul in Europe. And so she was the first one who came to Christ under Paul's ministry in Europe. And so this is how it was going. And he stayed there, it said, for a few days, many days, and he was witnessing to the people and he was starting the church. And then there was a woman who was demon-possessed. And she could tell the future in certain regards or tell some of the future. And so she was a slave to these two guys who were making a lot of money off of this girl being able to tell some of the future. All right. And so they were not, they didn't have her best interests in mind, but they were using her to gain money. And she was walking around proclaiming that Paul was an apostle of Christ, but she wasn't doing it in a way that was helping his ministry. She was very distracting. And it said, Paul being greatly annoyed, told the demon to come out of her. And it left her at that very point. And her owners did not respond well to that event. All right? They were, all of a sudden, they saw they weren't having to do a whole lot. They were just using this lady to make money. And all of a sudden, their money-making venture went away. And so they had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. And they were beaten and flogged. And then many of you know the story. This is when Paul and Silas were in prison And what were they doing in prison? They were singing, just like we were singing a few minutes ago. Talk about having joy in hard circumstances, right? They were singing praises to God while sitting in a jail cell. And the incredible thing, like I said, there's so much in this, but the incredible thing of that story is, right, God sent an earthquake, opened up the prison doors, and set everyone free. But did any of the prisoners run? No, they didn't run. And I have to think a lot of the fact that they stayed there and didn't run was due to the fact of the testimony of Paul and Silas. That they wanted to see why this had happened. They didn't just run trying to gain their freedom. And so the next convert that we have recorded is the Philippian jailer who at seeing all of this take place said, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas told him, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the Philippian jailer was saved and then his household and then they, then Paul and Silas were released from prison and then they left the area. And that's how the church in Philippi was started. This church that he's writing to. So that was like 10 years ago. And, and sometimes we forget that as we hear this letter to the Philippians. 
Right? Paul wasn't like a tenured pastor. He didn't spend 15 years in Philippi starting this church. He spent, it says many days, so we don't know exactly how many. It wasn't just a week, but it wasn't years. And so he is writing to this church because he loves them, because he started this church. But just think about us being a church, being started. You know, Pastor Josh came down here, led of the Lord to plant this church 12 years ago. And say he left like six months after he got here and then like, all right, I'll write a letter to you guys in a little while. Right? Some of you guys are wondering, I mean, he's been gone for six weeks and wondering where he is. And, you know, this is the difference. And this is, sometimes it helps us to understand that Paul had such great affection for them because he saw that they were saved, but he knew he couldn't be there with them and he wanted to see how they were doing. And the reason he was thankful, or the reason he had joy was what? Because of their partnership or their working together in the gospel. That they, and what is the gospel? We just talked about it when they talked to the Philippian jailer. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, as Paul wrote when he was talking to the, to the Corinthian believers in first, first Corinthians, he said, I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. That is the simple gospel, that Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, that all people who repent and turn and put their faith in him become children of God. You become, you get translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And this gospel that he preached to the Philippians was transforming their lives and, he, and they partnered together with him. They did not abandon him when he went and was put in jail in Philippi. They stayed with him and when he was released from jail, it said they, had, they took him into their home and they had hospitality with him and then they sent him on his way and if you read through, you find out that the Philippian was, church was a very giving church, even though they were very poor. And they continued to donate, and they loved Paul so much that they had even sent, as you'll see in chapters 3 and 4, they sent Epaphroditus to help Paul in his imprisonment. So they were partnered together. It wasn't that Paul just came to preach a gospel, and then they heard it, and then they just joined, and then they kind of followed here and there and met together once in a week. It was deep fellowship together for the sake of the gospel, not just because they liked hanging out together, not because they just wanted to do things, but it was for the sake of the gospel. And why was Paul able to write them so confidently? Many of you have heard of verse 6 before, but he says, and I am sure or I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He was confident in their continued growth because of why? Was it because of their ability? Was it because they were such good people or that he chose the best people in Philippi to be a part of the church? No, it was because God started the work in them and God would bring it to completion. Salvation is initiated and completed by God. He starts it. He brings it to completion. He will not start something and then abandon it. He is the good shepherd. He goes before us. And Paul's confidence is not in the Philippian people. He has joy in them because he knows what God will do. That is why his joy. His focus isn't on 
the people themselves, but it is on what God is doing in them. And therefore, he is able to have joy with and for these people in any and all circumstance. And it is a, a, just a, a relieving and, a, and an assuring thing to know that our confidence is in God, that he will complete the work he started. And his, his message to the Philippians, if you read through Philippians and then you read through Galatians, you see such a contrast. Because in, in Galatians, there were a lot of false teachers. And in Galatians 3, if you read through Galatians 3, 1 through 3, Paul even confronts them. And he says, are you so foolish? Having been begun by the Spirit, are you now going to be completed by works of the law? Are you going to, all of a sudden, God started this supernatural life within you. Are you now just going to finish it by your own strength and your own work? And he says, that's completely foolish. God started it and God will complete it. You need to rely on him. And so that is his confidence and that is how we can have joy and partnership together. Our joy and partnership together for the sake of the gospel, even as we talked about sending Cole and Debbie to Peru, is because we are partnering together with the same God, with the same message. Whether we are here or whether they are in Lima, we are working together for the same cause. And our confidence is not in our own methods or our own abilities, but in the work of God and through his Holy Spirit in us. And so that is the joy that we can have in this partnership. And and we can have this, and we see this continued, and he said, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers. Again, we see partakers, which is just like participation with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. And again, he's writing, Paul's writing this letter from jail. And he is reminding the Philippians of the fact that he was in prison there when he was in Philippi and that he is currently in prison. And yet they partnered together with him. They weren't scared away by it. And just, again, for his defense, defending the gospel against arguments and then confirming or affirming or preaching the truth about the gospel. And we could, could spend a lot of time studying through those. And I pray that you will as you go through the book. But knowing the gospel, that we would live out 1 Peter 3.15, that we would be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us whether people are attacking that hope or whether they just want to hear about that hope. We have both sides and that, that is part of partnering together in the, in the gospel. And it will bring a greater joy than anything else because it unites us. All right, and just like, you know, I love sports and I like watching sports and I'm one of the two pastors that is a Michigan fan, all right? And so there's a very small group of us united when it comes to college sports, all right? But even that, you know, you gather, whether you're a Hawkeye or a Cyclone or, you know, maybe it's video games and not sports, who knows? But that unity is fun for a little while. But after that game is over, you are no longer unified with those people, right? You're like, oh, that was fun. Maybe it'll wear off. Maybe it'll last for an hour after and then it's, it's gone. Then you start arguing with those same people and you don't care if they're a Hawkeye or a Cyclone or better, like a Michigan fan, like it should be. But uh, that's why we had to send the missions trip to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, no. That's where Ohio State is, for those of you who don't know. And the youth went to Columbus, Ohio on a missions trip. But 
That didn't go over as well as I had hoped. We'll just move on back to the Bible. Back to the Bible is more important anyways. That our partnership and joy is in the gospel. And that continually unites us, no matter what differences there are in anything else. And so this is why Paul can write this about the Philippian church. Because when you look at a group of people, you're like, how can he be joyful? How can he think fondly about these people and all his remembrances of them? It's because that's what he's focused on. He is focused on the gospel and the work of God in their lives. Not in their personalities, not in what they did for him or what they didn't do for him, but in what God is doing in them and how they would partner together for the gospel. So we see the joy in partnership, and then we see the next thing is the joy in prayer. And you've seen in the first few verses that he he's mentions a lot about praying and going through. But this next part is specific that he prays, and this is a crucial part, even through this passage in this letter. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Then again, you see the day of Christ mentioned and this just continuing to show Paul's focus on eternal things. All right, you see the day of the Lord mentioned often in the Old Testament and that's more focused on judgment. The day of Christ is mentioned, this is the second time here in this first few verses. The day of Christ is when Jesus returns for his church. And this is something we look forward to. And he is wanting them to be found working well and to be following Christ when Jesus returns. So he says, he prays for them that their love may abound more and more. And this love is the agape love, not a deserved love. Love is not a feeling. Just we talked about joy is not a feeling. It is a choice and a state of mind. It is a gift and a fruit of the Spirit. So is love. He's talking about that their love would grow and abound. And this love is, again, so much that could be said about Christ's love for us. But this is the, the example, right, that Jesus gave to his followers when he said in John 13, this is how they will know you are my disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus didn't love his disciples because they were super lovable. He didn't love them because they just always made the right decisions or said the right things. Right? If you read any of the Gospels, you know he loved them in spite of what they did. They did not deserve his love, just like none of us deserve it. Yet God loved us first. God is love. And Paul wants their love to grow and abound. All right? Our love is not just a static thing. It's not like, okay, well, now I love people and so I'm good to go there. He wants it to continue to grow and to abound and abound, to overflow. So the picture of a cup overflowing and filling it up completely. Like, for example, back in the, in the day when I was in college, we had those, you know, you had fountain cups. And then for a while, I don't know if they still do because I, I don't buy a fountain pop anymore, but they used to have those dome lids, especially for the frozen Mountain Dew. That was really good. So it would, it would add like this much to your cup. And so we would always go find the dome lids because 64 ounces of Mountain Dew was not enough. We had to add the extra 12 ounces that could fit in that dome lid. You screw it on really tight and then put it under and like try and lean it under or you actually just had to get another cup and pour it in, right? So that your cup would abound with Mountain Dew because 87 ounces of Mountain Dew is what you need. <laughs> All right, at least that's what I used to think. 
But Paul wants their love to continue to abound like that, to continue to be overflowed, not to just be settled at like, okay, I kind of love people, so I'm good to go. No, our love can always grow and it can abound and overflow. But the other important thing is why does he add in these qualifiers? Because he says, your love needs to abound with knowledge and all discernment. Love is not just a feeling we have towards everybody. Love is not just affirming what anybody and everybody wants. Love is action. Love is putting others' needs above yourselves. And love overall is built on true knowledge. And the knowledge that he's talking about is the knowledge of God the Father, knowledge of the truth that we see in his word. Because the world would also have us believe that, right, that love is love. Or they would say things like that because they would have us believe that you can choose, no matter what, you can choose who you want to love, how you want to love people, you can choose your own identity, you can do all these things based on how you feel. That is not love according to the Bible. Love according to the Bible is that we affirm what God affirms, that we stand on the truth of his word, and that, that it, because the world would tell us if we're not willing to affirm everybody and whatever they want, that we are not loving, yet we know that God right, created the world. We know that he gave us his word. We know that he created men and women. We know that he has given us a plan for marriage. We know all these things, and then to affirm or celebrate things contrary to his word is not helpful are beneficial to anyone. And so he wants their love to grow in knowledge and discernment, to discern, to choose, to know what is right. Because when we affirm things that are contrary to God's word, we are doing the exact opposite of sharing the gospel with people. We are giving them a false hope to think that they can live, that, live the way they want without any consequence. And that is not loving. That is not helpful. And again, we have to love and be willing to love and we have to share the truth of God's word in a gentle way. And I'm I'm constantly reminded of this as as a parent, that I don't want to give false hope that sin is serious, but we have a one year old daughter now. And if you've seen, I often hold her while we're greeting, Hattie. And I am accused, I don't know why, but I am accused of being a softie by my wife. I don't know why this, and and my mom has confirmed it as true, supposedly. But if you have seen her at 13 months stand there and go like this, hi, hi. And like, or she grabs my legs and looks up and says, dad, and she has huge eyes. You would have a hard time not being a softie too. (laughs) But I love my daughter. But when I take her out into the front yard, where does she want to play? In the grass? No. Why wouldn't I want to go play in this great big flat cement area that cars like to drive on? She loves to play in the street because we told her she can't go in the street. I would not be a loving parent by saying, I know your great desire is to go play in the street. Go play in the street and we'll we'll hope for the best, right? That is not being a loving parent. Or we just took her on a couple day vacation up in Algona and there was a lake there 
And she just doesn't have fear. I don't know why. So she thinks she can just go into the water and nothing bad will happen. She just keeps going deeper and deeper. She does not know how to swim. She's not that advanced as a 13-month-old. All right. But as a loving parent, I stop her from those things because I want what is good for her. My, I have grown somewhat in discernment and knowledge as an adult. And so I stop her from doing those things. And Paul wants us to grow in love, that we should love other people, that we need to share the truth of God's word in a loving, caring way. But we do need to share the truth, and we do need to discern what is best, because he says the goal of this is that we would approve what is excellent, that we would approve what is right, not just approve whatever feels good or approve whatever is popular, We need to approve what is excellent and what is right. C.S. Lewis um, has a quote that he put in, as he said, and the issue with us is it says, um, he says this, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The goal is not just to settle. The goal is not just to do what is okay. The goal is to seek and to approve what is excellent. God offers infinite joy in following him and living by his word and following his standards. He has given us his word so that we can grow, so that we can know him and so that we can abound in joy and love. And if you, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you can read that later, but that is, again, emphasizing that idea. Don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed by the, or be, yeah, renewed through the transforming of your mind through God's word. And, Let me actually look up the verse because I just butchered that a little bit. All right. So he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Being renewed by his word, transformed, that helps us to approve what is right, and what is excellent. And that is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. That is, his, that is prayer for all of us and believers in the end so that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? For the praise of God the Father. So all of this wasn't so that we can look at ourselves and say, look at me and look at what I've done. Because knowledge taken the wrong way leads to arrogance. Knowledge and understanding should lead us to love and to following God so that our works lead to the praise and honor and glory of God the Father, not of ourselves. And that is Paul's prayer for them. That's that's our prayer for our church here, that we would seek him in his honor and glory. And then finally, it says the advance of the gospel. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And what is he talking about? He's in prison. All right? And if you study the advance of the gospel 
or if you look into the best methods to either plan a church or to reach community, getting put in prison is not one of them, right? At least I have never read a book that would say, hey, that's one of the best methods to start a church or plant church or further the gospel is to be arrested. Yet Paul found himself in prison. He found himself in jail. And right, why did they put him in jail? Because they wanted to stop the advance of the gospel. And he said the very opposite is happening. Not only am I doing okay in prison, the gospel is advancing far beyond what we could imagine. The whole imperial guard has heard of it, he says. And not only did the imperial, so it's advancing in two ways. Not only did the imperial guard hear about it, so (laughs) maybe they didn't enjoy being chained to Paul because that's what happened. Paul was in house arrest and he had a Roman guard chained to him. They had other guards. So the guy chained to him had no other option but to listen to what Paul had to say. And what do you think Paul had to say? He had the gospel to preach to him. All right, and so he preached to every guard. Maybe that's why they rotated out so fast and everybody heard about it because like, I'm tired of hearing Paul preach the gospel. You get to hang out with him for a while. So Paul preached through all of them. The gospel spread through the whole imperial guard in a way that it never would have had Paul not been arrested. God knew that. Not only did the imperial guard hear about it, but what was the other impact of his imprisonment? He said, and most of my brothers becoming having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So instead of cowering in fear, the Spirit of the Lord worked within the people in Rome and the other people that heard, and they started preaching more boldly, right? They didn't run away and scatter as maybe they thought, you know, if we arrest Paul, maybe everybody else will kind of disperse and it'll quiet down. No, These people started preaching the gospel with more confidence and more boldness. And that is the joy that you have in the proclamation of the gospel. Because the confidence, again, is not in you or in your understanding. It is in God who works in people. And so they had joy to proclaim. And even later on in this chapter, it'll talk about the fact that their joy and their confidence is a sign to those who are not following of their destruction, of their coming destruction. The fact that people can preach the gospel in the face of opposition without fear is a sign to them that they are on the wrong side or a sign to them that, they are, that there is something wrong. It is a sign of destruction. And so in his imprisonment, they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so we have joy in proclamation, proclaiming, about Christ to other people. But at the end, it is very interesting as you see it. It says, but some indeed preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And it's, it's a weird, or envy and rivalry. And it's kind of hard to understand, but these, somehow there were certain people that saw Paul in prison and are like, I really want to make Paul suffer more, so I'm going to preach the gospel out of envy and ambition. And so they went to preach the gospel, not necessarily out of love for God, though they were preaching the right gospel, but because they were driven by envy and selfish ambition. It's a very twisted way to preach the gospel. Yet you see Paul's response because some people are like, well, they must have been false teachers. If you want to see how Paul responds to false teachers, 
read through Galatians and read what he wants them to do to themselves because they are preaching a gospel different than the one he is preaching. Paul has no tolerance for false teachers. Right? He, when false teachers are there, he, he wants them to be accursed. He said, anyone who preaches a different gospel than mine, think different gospel than what Christ has given, should be accursed. And so we know that these people were preaching the right gospel, right? Because Paul says, I rejoice in the fact that they are preaching the gospel. He would not be rejoicing if they were preaching a false gospel. And this is where we see Paul choosing joy. Because it wasn't, right? Do you think that Paul sitting under house arrest, seeing other people free to go on missionary journeys or preach the gospel as he used to, our normal tendency would probably be, man, God, I was doing that. Why did you stick me in prison? I would much, be rather, much rather be out traveling to the churches and preaching. And it, he could easily have sat there and felt sorry for himself, right? And said, what did I do wrong? How come I'm like this? Why, why do these people who don't even have the right motives get to be out there preaching the gospel? Why do you let them be free? They should be in prison, not me. And we could almost justify that line of thinking, right? And feel that that's okay. We could think that way. Yet what is Paul's response? He says, no, I choose to rejoice. And why do I choose to rejoice? Because the gospel is being preached, whether in pretense or truly, the gospel is preached and people are getting saved. I rejoice. That was a choice Paul made. And why could he make that choice? Because his focus was on Christ. His focus was on God and on the truth of the gospel. His focus was not on his circumstances. And it brings up an interesting point as we think through application in our own lives. How are we going to choose to follow Christ? Because based on these passages, it is possible to know the gospel, to believe the gospel, and to preach the gospel and be driven by envy and selfish ambition. There are people who preach the truth with horrible motives. Or we could be like Paul, and we can choose to rejoice regardless of circumstance in the proclamation of the gospel and to choose to have joy wherever God has placed us. To stop focusing on other people and focus on what we have in Christ. That is our choice this morning, and that is what we need to work through. And so as we, as we close, I'm reminded often of this passage, but in John 21, and you think through, Peter had just been restored to Christ after having denied him. And Jesus talks to Peter in John 21, and he says, hey, basically lays out for him, he's like, you're restored. And then he basically says, by the way, you're going to die a martyr's death. Which, I mean, coming from Jesus, and you know that's going to happen, all right? That's going to be true. Two things could happen at that point, right? You could be like, I don't want to die that way. Which is probably what Peter's original reaction was, because what did he do when Jesus told him that he was going to die a martyr's death? He saw John back there, and he said, hey, what about this guy over here? What's going to happen to him? Does he have to die like I have to die? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain till I come, what does that matter to you? You follow me. And what he was saying was, it doesn't matter what happens to John. 
This is what I have set for you, and this is the way you need to follow me. And I'm sure as time went on that Peter found joy in knowing that. Not knowing, nobody looks forward to dying a martyr's death, right? It wasn't like he's like, oh, this is great, you know, I just have so full of spirit that this is what I love. But he knew that this time he would not deny Christ. He was going to follow through to the end. And our choice is either we can choose to have joy in Christ or we can choose to be like these guys who were preaching the gospel with envy and selfish ambition. It's a much more joyful life to follow Christ and to have joy in a hard circumstance than to choose to be embittered and do the right thing out of a bitter spirit. And so that's my prayer. And as we, as I close to pray, there's just some questions that you can reflect on as Brandon comes up to play. But the first is, first and most important question is, do you know Christ? Is he your savior? Because without him, you can't have any of this joy. And there's just a lot of questions there that you can think through as we seek to apply this passage. Is our, partnership, or is our fellowship with Christ helping us to partner with other people? Because this Philippian church, Paul remembered them fondly, but even as you'll see in chapter 4, there was division in the church. He had to try and help two ladies come back together that were fighting each other, even though they were both partners in the gospel. There is always possible division, so we need to find joy in partnering with Christ. And is our love built on knowledge and truth? Are we, are, is God's word what is informing how we love and what we love? And then are we choosing joy through Christ? All right, it is God that is works in us and we need to choose to follow after him. So to think through those things as we reflect before we close them in worship. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord, that you, Lord, that you allow us to know you, that you have offered your son and that you loved us first. Lord, I pray that as Paul does, that we would choose to have joy in you. Lord, that when circumstances are hard or when situations are difficult, that instead of being angry or focused on those things, that we would entrust them to you and choose to have joy because you are our greatest possession, Lord, that you offer eternal life. Lord, there is joy in no other source than outside of you. And so I pray that you would help us to know that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.